All right. Good morning, St. Paul's. Um, I guess I'll start with a quick health update. Things are actually pretty much the same as last week. Uh, shortly after our service last Sunday, um, we went to go have uh, Sarah tested for COVID and uh, we still haven't received the results. So they said it would take six to 10 days. We're in day seven now. Uh, so we'll see, uh, but she's doing fine. Um, she still has a few mild symptoms of what could possibly be COVID. Uh, so we're trying to be extra careful. We know that if whatever she does have, I'm obviously carrying too. And so we made the decision once again to uh, not do in-person worship this week. Um, but we're feeling good. Uh, we appreciate your, your prayers and concern. And um, we'll uh, keep you updated on uh, the results when we get them. Um, and we'll be making the decision uh, sometime this week about whether returning to in-person worship is appropriate. So, well, if you've been with us over the last several weeks, you know that we haven't really been in a sermon series. Uh, we finished our last sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount uh, three weeks ago now, and we're going to start a new sermon series eventually. But since then, I've just kind of been uh, preaching on whatever passage the Lord lays on my heart in any given week. And the passage that I kept having impressed upon me this week was uh, from Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 22. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there, uh, Matthew 12, starting in verse 22. Um, why don't we say a, a quick prayer before we get into this? Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you so much for this beautiful summer morning, and we thank you for the chance to gather in this virtual way. Uh, we just pray that you would uh, anoint our time together with your Holy Spirit, that you would direct our thoughts and focus our attention on your word, uh, and that you would speak to us through it, Lord. Uh, we give you thanks for this morning, and in Jesus' name, amen. Um, I'm noticing that there's some road noise uh, that you might be able to hear, and I hope it's not not too distracting. Um, if it is too distracting, uh, Keith, I know you're watching, just send me a quick text uh, so that I can hopefully adjust in some way. Um, so I will read this passage, and then I'll explain why I've been thinking about it a lot this week, because the meaning might not be immediately obvious. So Matthew 12, starting in verse 22. Uh, then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if, he, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God 
has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. So uh, Jesus is performing miraculous healings, including freeing people from demon possession. And the results are very powerful, right? People who are blind are able to see, people who are deaf are able to hear, people who have been unable to speak are now able to speak. And most of the people who are observing uh, what Jesus is doing are amazed. And they're saying, could this be the son of David? In other words, could this be the long-awaited Messiah that's been prophesied for centuries? Could this be the guy that we've been waiting for who will set things right with the world and establish the kingdom of God? So that's the way most of the ordinary folks are reacting. But there are some people who are reacting differently. Uh, we're told that the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders at the time, are interpreting these events very differently. They said, well, if Jesus is casting out demons, it must be by the power of the devil that he's doing that. So in other words, what they were saying was, this must be some kind of trick that Jesus is playing and that the devil is playing through Jesus. Uh, the devil must be instructing his demons to leave the people they're possessing in order to make Jesus look good. Because Jesus is actually a false prophet and if Jesus looks good, then he'll be able to lead the people astray. So one way of putting it is that the Pharisees explained what was going on with a conspiracy theory, right? They said, what seems to be happening is not what's actually happening. Jesus isn't a good guy. He's a bad guy. Uh, his power doesn't come from God. It comes from the devil. And this is all just a trick to lead you astray. Conspiracy theory. Now, why did the Pharisees promote a conspiracy theory? Was it because they really believed it? Did they really believe that Jesus was in cahoots with the devil? Well, we don't know for sure what they really believed. Uh, maybe some of them really did believe that. Uh, maybe they didn't, and they just wanted to confuse the people. Maybe they didn't really believe it at first, but after they kept repeating it, they started to actually think it was true. We don't know for sure. But here's what we do know, okay? The Pharisees' promotion of this conspiracy theory had nothing to do with evidence. The Pharisees' promotion of this conspiracy theory had nothing to do with actual evidence. We could argue that what they were saying was a possible explanation of what was going on, but it definitely wasn't a reasonable explanation of what was going on. You know, a possible explanation for the experience you're having right now is that uh, you are the only mind in the universe and everything else that you're perceiving is an illusion. And all of your memories were actually downloaded into your brain a second ago and you've only existed for one second. That is a possible explanation of reality. But is it a reasonable one? No. And there's no real evidence for it. It's completely unfalsifiable, right? And that's the kind of explanation that the Pharisees are giving right, right now. This is an explanation that is unfalsifiable. There's no real evidence for it, but it's, it's just a possible 
explanation. If you see someone who's going up to people who are blind and unable to speak and commanding demons to leave, and then they're able to see and they're able to speak, the reasonable conclusion from that set of data is not the healer is in cahoots with the demons, right? That explanation is needlessly complex. If you're familiar at all with the philosophical uh, principle of Occam's razor, you know that explanation is definitely not in keeping with Occam's razor, right? A much simpler, more reasonable explanation is that this healer has authority over the demons and that his power and intention is actually in opposition to the demons, not somehow working uh, in cahoots with them. So the Pharisees promotion of this conspiracy theory has nothing to do with evidence. So what does it have to do with? It has to do with what the Pharisees want to be true. The Pharisees are people of power and influence and they wanna keep that power. Uh, the, Pharisee, the Pharisees are prideful people and they wanna protect their pride. But the thing is, Jesus is saying and doing things that challenge their power and their pride uh, and that um, critique the whole religious establishment. If you're familiar with the gospels, you know that Jesus regularly confronted the religious authorities. There was nobody in society that he had more criticism for uh, than the religious authorities uh, at that time. He critiqued their intentions. Uh, he, he critiqued their interpretations of the law he critiqued their faithfulness to God. And so the Pharisees don't want Jesus to be sent from God. They don't want him to be right. They don't want him to be the Messiah who's bringing the kingdom of God. Because if he's right, then they need to repent. If he's right, they need to humble themselves. And nobody wants to do that, right? And so Keep that in mind. This is the, the way you're thinking if you're a Pharisee. And then they get the news, right? This teacher who has uh, critiqued you is doing incredible miracles. He's freeing people who are in spiritual bondage. The blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, the mute are speaking. This is not news that is going to make you go, oh, yay, that's wonderful, right? Because this news threatens their pride. And so when they get this this news, their brains have to come up with a way of explaining this information, of interpreting it, that allows them to protect their pride, right? And the thing that enables them to do that is this conspiracy theory. There's no evidence for this conspiracy theory, but the conspiracy theory allows them to keep thinking what they want to think. It's a possible explanation that fits the narrative that they want to promote. Not a reasonable explanation, but a possible one. And so they latch onto it. So what is my point? Well, what I want us to see here is that this is an example of how much our own pride and our own desires can influence the way we see the world. I'll say that again. This is an example of how much our own pride and our own desires can influence the way that we see the world. 
as human beings, we have this endless capacity to interpret the world in ways that boost our own ego. You know, an example I, I like to give is um, from my experience in, in college and in high school, watching the way students react to their grades. You know, if a student gets a good grade, usually what they think is, yes, you know, I did a great job, I worked hard, I'm smart. But if they get a bad grade, usually the first thing they'll say is, oh, well, that teacher was awful, right? Rarely do they do the reverse, where if they get a good grade, their first comment is, oh, well, I just had such an awesome teacher. You know, and if they get a bad grade, they say, well, that's on me. That's my fault. See, we have this tendency to interpret the world in ways that boost our own ego and that make us feel proud. Now, as an aside, I know that some of us struggle very much with a negative self-concept and, and maybe we interpret everything in a way that makes us feel worse about ourselves. And so um, this may not apply to you. But generally speaking, many of us have this tendency to gravitate towards explanations of reality that preserve our pride and our ego. Now, obviously, this has always been true throughout history. But I think because of the world that we're living in right now, this tendency is leading to a full-blown crisis. And it's what you might call a crisis of epistemology. Now, what is epistemology? Epistemology is the branch of philosophy that deals with the question, how can we know what is true? And so to say that we as a society are experiencing a crisis of epistemology is to say, not only are we struggling to agree on what's true, we're struggling on how to even know what's true. Uh, we're not agreeing on which institutions are reliable. We're not agreeing on what, which news sources are trustworthy. Uh, we're not agreeing on which things are facts and which things are opinions. We're not agreeing on how much stock to put on science and on the medical community and all that kind of thing. And and, and there are people who are really describing this moment that we're in as a true uh, crisis of epistemology. And I believe that one of the things that is at the root of this epistemic crisis is the same impulse that led the Pharisees to say that Jesus was in cahoots with Satan. And what it is, is that all of us have ways that we want to look at the world ways that appeal to our pride and our ego. You know, if we identify as a Republican, we want to interpret the news and the world around us in ways that make us feel good about ourselves and our identity as a Republican. Same thing with if we identify as a Democrat, right? We want to interpret the news and the world around us in ways that make us feel good as a Democrat. If we're not very educated, uh, we want to interpret the world in ways that make us feel um, like we are just as capable as those who are educated. Uh, even if we're commenting on uh, things that we just are not our field, right? Um, whatever labels we have incorporated into our own identity 
we want to interpret the world in ways that make us feel good about that identity. Make sense? Now, think about what happens when we combine this human tendency with the rise of the information age and the internet. You know, you don't need a publishing contract anymore to get your ideas out into the world. You just need an internet connection. And you don't need uh, to go visit some big library in order to find out all the various views that exist out there in the world. All you need is an internet connection. And so now it is easier than ever before in history for you to believe whatever you wanna believe because you can go online and find a group of people who believe what you want to believe. It doesn't matter how out there your views are, you will be able to find a community of people who will support you in your belief and reinforce you in that belief. I mean, there are people out there who believe everything under the sun. There's always somebody who believes a crazy idea, right? More than one somebody. And now because of the internet, those people can find each other and reinforce those beliefs and, and spread them. You know, I bet that if Jesus had been ministering during the time of the internet, I think these Pharisees would be promoting this conspiracy theory all over the web this conspiracy theory that Jesus is actually in cahoots with Satan. And I bet that they would persuade a lot of people of that view, you know, especially the people who had, for whatever reason, incorporated the Pharisees into their identity. You know, maybe they just thought of themselves as team Pharisee. I identify with the Pharisees teaching. Those people would be particularly susceptible to this in cahoots with the devil theory. And I imagine that they would uh, gather together iPhone videos of Jesus preaching, and they would look in those videos and try to find hints of sinister activity. They would probably say things like, ooh, look at Jesus' fingers right there. If you pause it in that moment, it looks like he's flashing the, the pagan symbol for Baal. You know, or, or look at all the flies that are landing on him as he's teaching here. You know, that's a sign that his, his true father is the Lord of the flies, Beelzebub. And I imagine that some people would be uh, very deceptive and they would manipulate videos of Jesus so that he seemed incoherent or out of his mind. And they would say, see, this is evidence that he is actually possessed by the devil. And so there would be plenty of support for anyone who wanted to believe that Jesus was actually on the devil's team. And everyone who believed that or wanted to believe that would gather together in their online forums and they would reinforce each other's beliefs and they would even find a sense of community and belonging in sharing the same conspiracy theory about Jesus. And my exhortation for us this morning as the church is don't be like the Pharisees. And you might say, well, Ryan, how are we like the Pharisees? Obviously, we don't believe that Jesus is in cahoots with Satan. And of course, 
uh, we don't believe that. If we're in the church, that goes without saying. But like the Pharisees, we can still end up believing and promoting whatever appeals to our pride and our egos rather than what is actually true. I will say that again. Just like the Pharisees, we can end up believing and promoting whatever appeals to our pride and our desires rather than what is actually true. And it really, it takes work to resist doing that. I don't think any human being does it perfectly. I think that we can end up believing things that are false and we can hold those beliefs passionately without even realizing that the main reason we do that is really because of our pride, because there's something about believing that belief that protects our ego. Uh, sometimes we're actually oblivious to that. And, and it takes work to be reflective enough to, to notice that. But part of being a disciple of Jesus is learning to think well. You know, Jesus said, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And we have to remember that mind part, right? And we don't love the Lord with all of our minds if we don't use the minds that he's given us well. And we, we're not using our minds well when we allow our pride and our desire to dictate which information we trust and which information we reject, right? That's not thinking well. Now, when Jesus responds to the Pharisees, he tries to get them to think well. Uh, he tries to reason with them. And he uses three arguments. So let's look at these quickly. They're, it might have been a little hard to understand Jesus's arguments. So I, wanna, I want us to examine them. So argument one, he says, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, uh, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? What does Jesus mean here? Well, if I were to put his argument into my own words, uh, I would say this, why would Satan whose goal is to steal, kill, and destroy, heal people. If he is uh, possessing people, he's succeeding in stealing, killing, and destroying. So why would part of his plan involve restoring them and healing them and casting himself out of them? That just does not make any sense. Uh, he would be acting against his own interests, and so he would be divided against himself. And kingdoms that are divided against themselves do not succeed, right? They do not stand. So this just doesn't make sense. So that's Jesus's first attempt to get them to think well, right? The second argument he uses is my favorite one. Uh, Jesus says, and if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? And I love this one because what Jesus is doing is he's giving them a little bit of a taste of their own medicine. And he's basically saying, if I'm in cahoots with Satan, why would anyone assume that you're not in cahoots with Satan? I mean, you guys purport to drive out demons too. Religious authorities at least tried to do that, right? So he's saying, 
you're accusing me of something that you yourself are just as accusable of. So clearly this is not a good argument. This isn't even an argument. This is just an assertion. You guys aren't thinking well. This actually uh, reminds me of Sigmund Freud, the psychoanalyst. He used to say that uh, God is an illusion that people believe in uh, because they have a deep desire for a loving father. And some people think that this is this great uh, argument against the existence of God, that belief in God is just this uh, wish uh, projection, that we want a loving father, and so we believe in God. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of people think that this is a great argument against the existence of God. But that's not a good argument against the existence of God, because that kind of argument could just as easily be turned around and used against atheism. Right, Because one could say, Freud, the reason you don't believe in God is because you have a deep desire to be free of any authoritarian figure. See, that argument is just as reasonable as Freud's, and it's also just as unprovable. And it's a great response because it reveals the flaw in the original argument. And that's the same kind of thing that Jesus is doing with the Pharisees here. He's showing them that the argument they're using can just as easily be used against them. And that means it's a bad argument. Clever. So then finally, the third argument that Jesus gives, I think this one might be the most confusing. Uh, he says, or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? then he can rob the house. So Jesus is arguing through an analogy here. And in the analogy, the strong man is the devil and his possessions are the people that he has possessed. And the analogy Jesus is giving is if you go to steal someone's possessions, you're not going to be able to do it unless the person you're stealing from is bound in some way, you know, unless they are uh, tied up and rendered powerless. So similarly, if you are going to free people from demonic possession, the devil has to be tied up and rendered powerless. So it doesn't make sense to say Jesus is getting his power to free people from the devil because the only way that people could be freed from the devil is if the devil is rendered powerless. Okay, so I know that's a little, a little confusing, but you know, the essence of the argument is this. It is silly to think of the devil as empowering someone to take his stuff, you know, just as it would be silly to think that if you just showed up at somebody's house, they'd be like, sure, take all my possessions. It doesn't make sense. So Jesus tries to reason with the Pharisees. He tries to persuade them with logic. He encourages them to think carefully, you know, rather than just be guided by their pride. And I think what Jesus does here should encourage us in two ways. So one, it should be an encouragement to us to use our minds, to think carefully, 
uh, to personally not just be guided by our pride in interpreting the world. Uh, and then two, it should encourage us to actually attempt to reason with people when they disagree with us. Um, Jesus knows that the Pharisees are not acting rationally, but he still makes an effort to appeal to their reason. He still tries to persuade them. So there is a time and a place for doing that, you know, for reasoning with those whom we disagree with. But I want us to notice something, uh, and that is that Jesus is aware of what's really driving the Pharisees' conspiracy theory. Because he says in verse 28, if you've got your Bible, look at it. He says, if I drive out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, why does he say that? He says that because he is acknowledging that if the Pharisees accept that his power comes from God, then they also need to recognize that he is the Messiah, that the kingdom of God is coming through him. And he knows that they don't want to do that. So Jesus is perceptive. He's recognizing the heart behind the conspiracy theory. He's not naive about where it's coming from. The heart behind the conspiracy theory is, I don't want to believe that Jesus is actually Lord. I don't want to believe that his critiques of the religious establishment are correct. So it is easier for me to believe that he gets his power from the devil. So Jesus knows what's actually going on in the Pharisees' hearts. And what I want us to recognize is that Jesus knows what's actually going on in our hearts too. He knows the emotions, the fears, and the pride that influence the way we see the world. And my encouragement for us this morning is to say to Jesus, Lord, free me from whatever is in my heart that keeps me from seeing the truth. Whatever the truth might be, uh, Lord, free me from whatever is in my heart that blinds me to reality. Lord, free me from whatever is in my heart that keeps me from coming to you and trusting in you. Help me to see things the way you see them, Lord. Take my blinders off. So let's not be like the Pharisees. Let's seek the truth, not whatever feeds our egos. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, uh, these are confusing times to be living in. There is so much information out there to sort through. There's so much misinformation to sort through. And Lord, as we seek truth, I pray that we would be guided primarily not by our pride, not by our selfish desires, but by your spirit. God, grant us your wisdom Help us not to be like the Pharisees. We give you thanks, Lord, for the wisdom that you do promise to give us when we ask sincerely. Um, Lord, guide us, we pray in Jesus' name.